Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Way. The Bible teaches that God's people will walk in the way of blessing and life, while those who reject God's instruction and rule will walk in the way of destruction and death. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Into our series where we are looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 uh, over a number of weeks right now. And uh, I'm going to be going back into Psalm 1 today. Because we're normally meeting outside this month, there's not going to be slides today because we're not prepping for both ways. Uh, so you could, you'll just have to follow along. It is there in the booklet, the text, and you can follow along in your Bible. Psalm 1, we're going to be kind of looking at the whole psalm. Again, I'm going to be bringing in Psalm 2 as well because the two psalms, as I described a number of weeks ago, are really meant to be read together as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms, uh, which is a great prayer book in the Scripture for us. So Psalm 1, I encourage you now to hear the words of the Lord your God, your Creator, and your Redeemer. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. A number of years ago, uh, we had two members uh, in our congregation for a short period of time who had gone to, uh, they'd received their doctorates from Oxford and Cambridge over in England. And it was a little bit daunting because they tended to want to sit together. And when you were looking at them, I was like, well, I know where all the brain power in the room is centered. It's out there, not up here. And one day after the meeting, they were excitedly talking, and, and the one who had, uh, R- Rachel, who had graduated from Oxford and her degree was in education, said, uh, I've been coming to the church for a while, and I've been observing something, and I wanted to ask you a question. And I said, sure. And she said, when you're teaching, is your goal just to impart to us what you think the Bible says, or are you trying to teach us how to read the Bible on our own as you're teaching? I said, that's a very good question. And I said, my goal is actually that as I'm teaching, I'm teaching us how to read the Scripture. Not just what I'm saying that week, but helping us to learn how to read the Scripture together. And she said, I thought that's what you were doing as an education major. That's what it appeared. I said, well, you, you paid attention well. Um, and that is what we do all the time. And it's really what we've been doing actually this entire year. Today we're going to be talking about meditating upon God's Word. But if you think about it, that's actually what we've been doing the entire year. We spent four or five weeks in 2 John, which is only like 12 or 13 verses. We spent six weeks going through Genesis 1 and 2. And now we're ending up spending four or five weeks going through Psalm 1 and 2. All of it is a slow meditation. So we've actually been practicing 
what I'm talking about today all year long, and we're going to continue doing it for a few more weeks until then we're going to jump into the book of Daniel, and we're going to move through it a little bit more briskly than we've been moving through these, and we'll be spending uh, much of the rest of the year going through Daniel. But today we're going to look at meditating on God's instruction, the way meditating on God's instruction. Now, if you notice in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 1, we read that the way is the way of God's Torah. Torah is the the Hebrew word. Notice there it says, we're told in verse 2 that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And the, the word that's translated there, law, is the Hebrew word Torah, which many of you have probably heard uh, used before. Torah, some people may pronounce it Torah. Uh, but Torah is the Hebrew word that is there. And this word is very often used, if you hear Jews speak of it today, it oftentimes refers to the first five books of the Bible, what we refer to as the Mosaic Law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Torah did mean that. And sometimes it can even be used to refer to kind of the entire Old Testament law, or sometimes specifically the Levitical code. Sometimes it's used to refer to the entire Old Testament. Uh, It's used a number of ways like that, but One of the concerns I have when we read a passage like Psalm 1 and it says that we're to meditate on God's law, when we hear the word law, we think of legal codes. You must do this and you must not do this. If you do this, you know, you're going to get X. If you do this, here's how you're going to be punished for doing that. And while Torah can mean that, that's not really its basic meaning. Its basic meaning is actually instruction. Not legal code, but rather instruction. Now, why do I say that? Well, first off, because the Hebrew word Torah is a noun, but it is derived from a Hebrew verb, and the verb does not mean to give legal code. The verb means to teach or instruct. And it's used this way many times in the Bible. For example, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, we see uh, how the word can be used. In Exodus 24, 12, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law, the Torah, written uh, and commands I have written for their instruction. And instruction is actually the verbal form or Torah. And notice that's what it is. I'm giving you law, but it's not just legal code. I'm instructing you, as it were, how to walk in the way. In Proverbs, the word is used a lot. And here's an example in Proverbs 1.8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Here on Mother's Day, there's a good verse. Do not forsake your mother's Torah is what that actually says. Your mother's teaching is her Torah. And so when Psalm 1 is telling us that we are to meditate upon God's Torah, it's not just speaking about do's and don'ts. It's not just speaking about the Ten Commandments. That's part of it. But rather we need to think of it as as God's instruction. God's Word teaches us the truth about God, about humanity, about righteousness, about sin, about things that lead to life and things that lead to death. It teaches us about all of 
the cosmos, all of our existence, not just legal code, but rather all of it. And so we are being called here in this passage to meditate on God's instruction to us. And we're to do this because we realize it's the truth and it will guide us into the path of true blessing. Psalm 1 is telling us, look, there's these two ways that we've been talking about. And in specific, I want to remind us, it's not teaching us the way of how to get saved. That really comes out in Psalm 2 which we're going to come to when we come to the Lord's table, we're saved by taking refuge in the Son. We are justified through, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But as those who've been justified, as those who are in Christ Jesus, as those who found refuge, God says, you want to walk in the way, the way of blessing. And that way is the way of meditating upon my Torah, my instruction. And notice here, you can see this. Let's meditate a little bit together on Psalm 1. Notice it begins, and this is how it's introducing the entire book of Psalms. It begins by pointing out that there are these two ways. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel. That word means counsel or advice or instruction, the way of thinking of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see what it's saying is there's two Torahs out there. There's the Torah of the world It tells you its way of thinking, what it believes about God, what it believes about humanity, what it believes about right and wrong, what it believes will lead to blessing and what it believes will lead to curse. And then there is God's Torah, which tells you what actually is true about God and about humanity and about righteousness and about sin and about blessing and about curse. And Psalm 1 saying that You're walking one of these two ways. And it's important to understand that it's saying they're diametrically opposed to one another. It's not that these two are are offering the same thing or they're even just a little bit off. If you remember in Psalm 1 and 2, uh, Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. It ends with the word perish. Blessing is aleph. Uh, perish is tav, the A and the Z of Hebrew. These paths could not be further apart. Okay, they're as, they're as far apart as A and Z. And it's telling us that it, we are to walk in it because these are two different Torahs. But I also remind us that in Psalm 1, every time the righteous one is mentioned, it's singular. And every time the wicked are mentioned, it's plural. Because it's a reminder that walking the way, walking the way of God's Torah is, is, a, is a narrow path, to use Jesus' term. Walking the way of the world is broad as the road. Unfortunately, it leads to destruction. So the question for you and I is, since we are surrounded by the world's Torah, I don't have to ask you. In fact, if I asked who is hearing the Torah of the world and you don't raise your hand, you are deceived. And that shows me how deeply the world's Torah has actually sunk into your soul because it is working every day on you and me. I don't care who you are or where you're at. You, you are receiving the world's Torah and because of your own flesh and because of sin that still indwells in the heart. If you were off on Gilligan's Island by yourself, the world's Torah would be rising up in your own heart. So the question is, since we're surrounded by it, How are we going to walk in the way of God's Torah? And the answer is that the way is meditating upon God's instruction. It's not just that it's there. 
It's not that it's there, you know, I got my Bible up on my shelf. I have to meditate upon God's instruction. Notice this is a constant call. We're told his delight is in the law of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord. And on his instruction, his laws, Torah, he meditates day and night. See, the world is pressing upon us day and night. And the only antidote, it's not a dabble, do you? It's not one little thing a day. It's we have to meditate upon God's Word day and night. Friends, hear me as we're going through this series on the way. You cannot even know the way, much less walk in the way, if we don't meditate upon God's instruction. We'll simply get deceived and find ourselves consistently walking the wrong path if we don't meditate on God's instruction. So this command is repeated many times in the Old Testament. I'll just give us a couple of them. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Moses has just died. The original meaning of Torah, the first five books have just been closed. And Joshua is uh, hearing from the Lord how he can lead the people. And he's told this, do not let this book of the law, this book of Torah, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Notice it's the same points as in Psalm 1. You are to take Torah. You are to meditate upon it. It is a, to be a meditation that is done day and night, and this will lead to prosperity and successfulness. Blessing is what will happen and will come from it. It's the exact same points that are made in Psalm 1. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. That means it begins with uh, Aleph, and the first eight verses in Psalm 119 all begin with Aleph, and then it goes to Bait, and the next eight verses all begin with Bait, and then it goes to Gimel, and the next eight verses all begin with Gimel. And it's just moving through the ABCs, if you will, of the Hebrew alphabet. And when we move down to Psalm 119.97, we're in the middle of the alphabet at the uh, Hebrew letter Mem, which is kind of like our M, and the very first verse is this. Oh, how I love your law, your Torah. I meditate on it all day long. Psalm 119 is actually an acrostic about meditating upon the Word of God, about the power of God's Word and His instruction. And here the psalmist tells us, I love your instruction to me because I realize it's life. I'm so prone to walk the way of foolishness rather than the way of wisdom, the way of wickedness rather than the way of righteousness, the way of cursing rather than the way of blessing. And so I love that your instruction comes to me and it keeps calling me as your follower, as your servant back to the way. And so he tells us to do this all day long. Now, before we dive in on how to do that, I want to step back and ask one other question, and that is, what do we mean by the word meditate? Because if I go out in the street today and ask people, how do you meditate, what do I get? I sit, right, I sit with my legs crossed and get in a strange pose, and I go, um, right, and I get a mantra, because that's what Eastern religion teaches. That not only is not what the Bible means by meditation, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible means by meditation. In Eastern religion, the whole point of the mantra is, I am emptying my mind 
so that I can get rid of rational, conscious thought so that my mind could somehow be flooded, not rationally, but with I, I can understand and kind of be guided in the way. That is not what the Scripture means. Rather, what the word meditate means is to murmur or to mumble or to mutter something to yourself. That's what the word chagah means. It means to, to mumber, mumble or murmur or mutter it to yourself. That's why did you notice Joshua was told by the Lord, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Because you can't meditate without the mouth. You can't meditate without fixing your mind. It's the exact opposite of emptying your mind. It means I am turning all of my mental faculties to work on something, to turn it over, and to mumble and mutter it to myself to say, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Uh, but on, uh, on the, the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. What does it mean that I meditate day and night? i got to think about this day and night, and I'm muttering it. I'm mumbling it. I'm speaking it to myself. To meditate is to think deeply, to turn it over and over in my mind so that I can understand it and to do this until it starts to penetrate down into my heart and into my desires. So the exact opposite, the, the normal thing you probably think with meditation, you got to get out of your mind or what you can do is whatever that is, do the opposite. Okay, because that's really what the scripture means. So how do we meditate upon God's word of instruction? Well, number one, meditation begins by hearing and reading Scripture. Obviously, Psalm 1 is meant to be read, or very often what happened in Israel was they, they would sing these psalms while they were turning to whatever text. They would read a text out of the law. Somebody was going to preach out of the prophets to enlighten what the law was, and while they were doing that, they would, while they were unrolling the scroll, because it wasn't as quick as looking it up on your iPhone, they would, somebody would lead them in chanting the Psalms. And so you'd be singing Psalm 1. You would be reading it and hearing it and turning it over. And this is the beginning of doing it. You can't meditate on what you have not read or what you have not heard. Scripture is the fuel for our meditation. There's nothing else. It's not even about I just sit out there and I just think about other things. Scripture is the fuel for your meditation. We are called to meditate upon God's instruction, His Torah, to us. And so we have to begin by simply hearing and reading Scripture. As I began preparing for this series, I just read Psalm 1 and 2 over and over and over again. Okay, I'm fortunate because I had the ability to read it in English and then also to read it in Hebrew and then also to read it in Greek. All of it was just saying, what are you saying? Let this start to wash into my mind. But secondly, meditation happens as I repeatedly hear, read, and think about a verse or a small passage. One does not meditate upon the Old Testament. One meditates upon Psalm 1. One meditates upon Psalm 1, verse 2. Meditation means I'm taking a small section because it, I'm going to be spending so long muttering it, thinking about it, turning it over and over and over again. So there's a time for reading. When I was a young believer, I just read and read and read the Word of God. 
Okay, I just started out and would try to read the whole Bible through, and when I would finish, I would just start again, and I would read it over and over again. And if you're a younger believer, I strongly encourage that. But after you've done that for a while, there's a difference between that and saying, I'm just going to sit down and read three, four, five chapters of Scripture, and saying, I'm going to read three or four or five verses. And then I'm going to sit and I'm going to think about those. And in fact, I might spend days or weeks thinking about them. Um, I'm going to come back to memorization in a moment, but fortunately because I have Psalm 1 memorized, one of the weeks that I was preparing on this, Linda and I were sitting out in a campsite and she just kept saying, what are you, what are you, where, where's your mind at right now? And I was like, my mind's just turning over Psalm 1. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just turning it over. What is God saying? What does God mean? How does that work? What is insight that I can get out of doing this? Again, muttering it aloud, doing it over and over and over again until I start noticing things, okay? Noticing things including like, why are the wicked always spoken of in the plural and the righteous are always spoken of in the singular. What is that telling me? What does that mean? Why does it begin with blessing and why does it end with perishing? What is that telling me? What does that mean? What is God trying to speak to me? Thirdly, and this is one that I think is, is missed quite often. In fact, that in many years when I was meditating on Scripture, I didn't practice this, but I would highly recommend it to you is meditation grows as I pray through the verse or passage of Scripture. One of the things that you've had done for many of you in this room is you've had the Psalms prayed over you. Because as I pray for every member of this congregation, most often what I do is whatever passage I was meditating upon that morning becomes the fuel for my prayer for you. So I've been meditating a lot this year on Psalm 1 and 2. So many of you have had Psalm 1 prayed over and, and you might be popping up and as you pop up on the thing, I might say, oh Lord, I'm praying for Jim today, and Lord, I pray that Jim would be delighting in your law, Lord God. I pray that, that whatever he read in the Scripture, the most recent thing, that you would be bringing it back to his mind, Lord. Let him be turning it over in the mind. I pray that you would be giving him a delight in your word. And the more you do that for yourself and someone else, it's amazing how it starts to open up. Because I might realize, as Jim and I have been talking, something he's walking through and thinking, oh Lord, how does your word apply to that? How does your word speak to that? How would meditating begin to open that up? And I remind you, the Psalms were originally a prayer book. That's what they are. They're the prayer book of the Old Testament. They sang the prayers, just like we sing many prayers, but it's prayers. That's what they actually are. One of the most consistent practices I've had in my life for a long time now is just praying through the Psalms, praying the Psalms over and over again. And the more you do that, it will deepen your understanding. Fourth, so I'm not only hearing and reading, but I'm hearing and reading a small passage, and then I'm even praying over it. Meditation, fourthly, deepens as I study the passage and look for other similar verses and passages. When I was a young believer, I did not have cross-reference Bibles. I didn't know they existed. I just gotten saved. I hadn't been raised in the church. And I went out and bought this Bible that was about that thick. And it had four versions in it. I would carry this thing around in school. That was the first sign to my friends that I'd gotten saved. And I started carrying this Bible around high school. It's a great way to become really popular in a public high school. 
And I'm carrying this Bible around. And what I was doing was, as I would be reading, I would remember, I would read John's Gospel. And it would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Like, in the beginning and made. I've read that somewhere else. That's Genesis 1-1. So then at the bottom, I would write 1-1 for John 1-1 and Genesis 1-1. And then later on, I would find in Colossians 1, it said the same thing. And I started making my own cross-reference and noticing these things. And that was helping me to meditate on, well, who is Jesus then? Is he the creator? Is he the one that was there that was speaking in Genesis chapter 1? And I begin to study and I begin to think through. As I did this morning, Psalm 1, 2, and 3, I note that, well, Joshua 1.8 says the same thing. Psalm 119.97 says the same thing. I start digging into God's Word and saying, what else have you revealed about this? Because in meditation, it's like looking at a diamond. You can't grasp everything in one. you, you got to move it around. you got to get it in different ways in the light. That's what we're trying to do with meditation because the more I do that, the more it's penetrating down into my heart. Next thing is meditation is aided as I memorize the verse or passage so I can mutter to myself as I go through the day. You may have noticed when I began this morning, I did not actually read Psalm 1. I just quoted it to y'all because I memorized this verse, this passage decades ago. I memorized Psalm 1 and I turn it over. And so it's been great that I've been able just to sit around and meditate upon this to myself. I was uh, another day sitting around a campfire, and I was actually going through a new um, uh, kind of guide to prayer that I'd gotten. And, and as I was going through the prayers and stuff, it said, you know, I have a passage ready to read aloud and to do. And I just saw him one. I didn't even have to go find a Bible. I just pulled it out and quoted it and started letting it wash over me. Psalm 119 that I mentioned a few minutes ago, that great acrostic poem uh, laying out the beauty of God's Word. Psalm 119 in verses 11 and 13 and 15 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. To hide it in the heart means I've memorized it. In verse 13 it says, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. And then in verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Notice how it's all tied together. Meditation and reciting it and recounting it and muttering it all day long and hiding it down in the heart. When you take the time to memorize something, you can keep turning it over. Actually, this morning, I just I woke up in the middle of the night, and Psalm 1 was rolling through my head, and I, I kind of, as I was groggy, realized I was muttering Psalm 1 to myself. Not always what I do when I wake up. Sometimes I mutter other things. But this morning, it was Psalm 1. Because it's there. It's fuel. It can always be there. I started memorizing Psalm 2 this weekend. I'm just going to memorize it over the coming weeks so that I can just have that there in my mind. I've memorized some of it, but I want to have all of it there. I want to encourage you that as you memorize God's Word, I can recall it. I can repeat it aloud to myself. I can turn it over and over in my mind to get increasing understanding of God's loving word of instruction to me. One of the great blessings of my life has been scripture memory. When I used to, when I was a computer programmer, or even when I was a Marine, wandering around, I mean, I can be going down to the water cooler just to get a drink of water, and I can be turning God's word over in my mind because no matter where I am, I've always 
Got it. No matter what they do, they can lock me away in a jail cell. They can refuse to give me a Bible unless they give me a frontal lobotomy. I got it up here. And it aids in meditation. If you've never practiced memorization, I urge and encourage you to do so. And then finally, meditation is completed as I talk through the verse or passage with others. So I decided I was going to read. I'm reading a small passage. I'm praying through it and turning it over. I'm studying it, kind of digging into it. I memorize it. And then finally, I start talking about it with others. The great Shema that God gave to Israel, that faithful Jews would would repeat every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he continues in verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Um, uh, uh, and he goes on then and says, you know, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. But notice, you're, you love God. You love God's instruction. You're going to impress it on your kids. And how are you going to do it? You're going to be talking about them constantly. Because there's something about, as God's revealing something to you and God's revealing something to me, and we turn on it and we chew it over and we talk back and forth, increased understanding comes. We hear, we learn. Uh, This past week, I was meditating, and a bunch of people in our Connect group did, just a a phrase that Simeon said last week as we were going through uh, Revelation chapter 4. And he was preaching on that, and he was talking about the difference between a telescope and a microscope. Some of you may remember that. You know, the telescope uh, doesn't make things bigger. It actually lets us see how big something actually is that may seem far away, but it brings it into our focus versus a microscope, which is making something that's actually very small seem big. And that's what we do with our problems. I was turning that over all week long, thinking about what that means and what my propensity is and, and how much time do I spend in the telescope looking at the glory of God and how much time do I spend in a microscope looking at my own problems, okay? And then we talked about it at our Connect group the other night. It's one of the things in the Connect groups is we bounce around and we're turning over God's Word. We're stirring up with each other. We hear and we learn more. And the more you can see as you've done all of this, the difference between that and I read by that verse this morning, it's a million miles. And God tells us because the world is trying to press its Torah on us, we don't need to just read. We need to meditate. I need to be soaked. I need, it's the difference, if you will, between brushing something on some meat and sticking it in it and letting it marinate for a day or two. The difference is what it does, and we're called to let it marinate. Now, let me say, there's a goal. Meditation has a goal, and I'm going to talk about that for a moment, and then we're going to really mainly go to the Lord's table for our application. First, notice, meditation is meant to stir up delight in God's Word. Psalm 1-2, notice, his delight is in the Torah of the Lord. And on his Torah, he meditates day and night. Delight is parallel with 
meditation because they're symbiotic. That means they feed on one another. If you delight in God's Word, you start to meditate on God's Word. And the more you meditate on God's Word and you start to understand it, the more delight it gives you into the Word of God, which makes you want to meditate on the Word more, which feeds more into delight. It's just a never-ending cycle. And it's called uh, what we are called to do as believer. And the ideas of delight and love and rejoicing are often linked with meditation in the Psalms. I'll again go to Psalm 119, verses 14 to 16. I was just quoting around these a minute ago. Here's some of the other verses. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. As the people of God, can I pray that with integrity? Oh, Lord. I mean, when somebody finds a winning lottery ticket that's worth a million dollars, that's the way I am when I get up and open your word. Because this is treasure. Because you know what? That million dollars is going to rot. It's going to go away. But the word of God will live forever. And I am going to live forever. Whether I ever get a million dollars or not, I'm going to live forever rejoicing in the presence of God. And by the way, all that gold is just going to be asphalt that I'm walking on. Do I rejoice in God's statutes? He goes on in verse 15. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your Word. Do you hear how it's all parallel? Meditation is meant to fuel delight. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your Torah. I meditate on it all day long. Please hear me. Meditation is never about mere academic insight. It is always aimed at deeper delight in God and His Word. I had a prof in seminary teaching us in Gospels, and I'll never forget this. We were off on a coffee break, and he called us back, and he said, well, welcome back to the most dangerous place in the universe. As we talk through it, you will either be hardened or your heart will be stirred up with delight and desire for the Word of God. Let's go ahead and open back up to the Gospel of Mark. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> but see, he was right. God's Word, we're reacting one way or another. Are we delighting in the Word of God? Friends, you have, you have such a privilege. There are believers around the world. They don't have access to Bibles like you and I do. Most believers in the time of the New Testament did not have access to written scriptures. They just hoped somebody in the church had some. And we've got multiple translations. I mean, I carry around like 20 translations on my phone. It's all over. It's available to us. Do we delight in the Word of God? I remember hearing in our congregation one time years ago, we were supporting work in South Sudan when they were being persecuted and Christians were starving and dying because the government in Khartoum was killing them. And the guy came and told us he was so humble when they flew in this cargo load full of food and medical supplies and clothing. And these people were literally starving to death 
they told the pilot and the guys, look, we'll get to that stuff later. Is there somebody here who will preach the word of God to us? That's what we need more than anything. First preach, then we'll get food. I'll leave it up to you to say, is that the way the American church is? But see, that's what meditation does. It makes me delight in the Word of God. And I can promise you, I am almost 40, I'm over 43 years into this. I put a pretty good amount of time into studying God's Word. You are never going to come to the last thing and say, well, I got it all. Never going to happen. Never going to come to the place to say I've plumbed it all. There is stuff I'm finding out now that just blows my mind and stokes my desire in a way. In fact, the more I've studied, the more capacity I seem to have to understand even more. The more I'm finding out what I don't know. Delight will never end. Secondly, meditation must always point me to Jesus Christ and all His glory and sufficiency. I say this all the time, but if you're reading the Bible and you're not seeing Jesus, you're not reading the Bible rightly. If you're meditating upon the Bible and you're not seeing Jesus, you're not meditating rightly. It is about Him. Even when I look at Torah as the law, the legal code, it, I, I see my sin and it causes me to look to Jesus Christ, the only one who can save me, the only one who is my sufficiency. The things we sang about this morning, the new song we sang, Christ is Mine Forevermore, where it says, you know, I get out there and, and I fail and I fall, but it reminds me that I am His. See, that, that's what it does. It points us to Jesus Christ because the great truth we need is Christ is mine forevermore. That's what the Word of God points us to. And so when we're reading the Scripture, we are going to be seeing uh, Jesus and all His character, His work for us, His glory, and that's going to cause my love and my desire for Him to grow. And then the last thing that meditation does is meditation must always usher in the application of obedience to God's Word. Okay, It's always aimed at obedience. It's not here that, well, you know, okay, I've got the world's Torah, and now I've got a little God's, and let's mesh them together and figure out what's what. No. I've got God's instruction, and I know that's truth. And I am called to obey. That's why the whole thing here is about a walk. See, he does not walk in the way of the wicked. That is speaking of our conduct, our way of life. And I want you to understand, see, where this comes from in Psalm 1 and 2 is the wicked are meditating as well. See, in Psalm 2, it begins... Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? And I've already mentioned once in the series, the word plot is the word meditate. That's what they're doing. They're meditating. But what they're meditating upon is how can I get out from underneath God? How can I get out from underneath the Word of God? How can I throw off God's rule and reign? They're meditating. They're meditating how to get around the Word of God. So see, the question for you and I, when I'm digging into God's Word, am I trying to figure out how to obey? 
Or am I trying to figure out a way to compromise God's word so I can keep doing what I want? Because one, they're both meditation. One's a right meditation and one's a wrong meditation. And there is a lot in our culture right now I constantly am reading where people have brought incredible ingenuity and effort and labor and work to make the Bible say exactly the opposite of what it actually says. That's what people want to do. Because I want to conform God to my ways. But see, meditation is about me conforming to His ways. Notice again, not only in Psalm 1, but in Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. See, it's not just that I've thought about it. It's not that I can read this in multiple different languages. I can discuss all these things. I can tell you what this guy thought and that guy thought and this guy does. The question is, Are you walking in the way or are you walking in the Torah of the world? I prosper and am secure, not as I simply hear God's word, but as by the power of the Holy Spirit I'm applying. You remember in Matthew 7 when Jesus finishes the whole Sermon on the Mount, he comes to the end and he says, look, there's two kinds of people. There's those who build their house on the rock and those who build their house on the sand. And what was the difference between those two? What determined whether it was rock or sand? They both heard the word, but one heard and applied and obeyed. That's the rock. The other one heard, and there's Psalm 2. i got to figure a way around that. And that ends up with the storm washing us away. So how do we apply this and we come to the Lord's table? Application is going to be real simple. You got homework. I want to encourage you to meditate on God's Word this week. Now, you may have a plan where you're reading the Bible through. I encourage you to keep doing that. But I'm telling you to do something different besides just that. If you're reading your three chapters a day, 3.25, to get yourself through all the chapters in the Bible in a year, that's great. Keep doing that. But I want you to take a passage. Perhaps it'll be Psalm 1 or 2. Or maybe pick another passage. And I want to encourage you to read it every day. I want to encourage you to be thinking about it, turning it over. Maybe dig in a little bit. Sit down one night, click off the TV, dig in. If you've got a cross-reference Bible, or you can look them up online and say, are there other verses that say the same thing that help me understand this? Take time, pray it. If you don't know what else to pray for your family or your friends, pray God's word over them. I assure you, you're praying in the will of God if you're praying the word of God. Pray it over them. Uh, Memorize it. Maybe take time. If you haven't done it before, start off and memorize Psalm 1. It's a great passage of Scripture to memorize. I'm working on Psalm 2. We can hold each other accountable as we do that. But I just want to encourage you, Do that this week and ask the Spirit. Because, friends, this is about the Holy Spirit. Ask Him for deep understanding and help in application. Holy Spirit, I want to know. I want to hear. I want to understand. And then I want you to empower me to obey for your glory and for my good.
Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table. And friends, this is our table of refuge. And in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to do a confession together. But I want to remind you that, again, because Psalm 1 and 2 go together, and Psalm 2 ends up with blessing. After talking about all the problems that the nations have, but it ends up in blessing, but it tells us where the blessing is found. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. That's what everything else is about. When you meditate on the Word of God, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a phrase that better captures the message of the Word of God. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. It concludes there in Psalm 2, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For His wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are all who take refuge in Him. There's these two kinds of people. Those who are meditating, plotting, conspiring, trying to figure out that God is, God's a wet towel. I, mean, I got to get him off. I got to get away from it. And those who say, oh no, Lord, where else would we go? <laughs> Your instruction is the word of life. And I've seen the Son, and I want to find refuge in him. And so we come to this table as we do each week. And I, I, I again, I want to remind us, because I ask this question constantly, just because you're here, I don't assume. Have you found refuge in the Son? Being a believer is not having your name on a roll. said before, the elders here, we try to make sure when people become members that you understand the God's But on judgment day, holding up a piece of paper and saying, Brett said I was a good guy. Don't put your trust in that. That doesn't work. On judgment day, it's I find my refuge in the sun. Christ the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Have you found that refuge? We're going to be coming to the Lord's table. And what I encourage you is we're going to, we're going to start by a confession of the faith and actually a confession of our sins. And I want us to stand together as we do this. This is not something I wrote. This is just 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, Danny, do we have, we have that up there? And so you're going to see where it'll say leader and then congregation. And we're going to, I'm going to read, it's verse 5, and then you're going to read verse 6. And we're going to work our way through these. And as you're doing it, do it with some meditation. Let the word sink into your heart. These are the very words of God. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. My dear children, I say this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And friends, if you agree with this, say amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. Friends, all who believe this, confessing God's righteousness and their own sin, and who trust in Christ's sacrifice alone for that sin, are welcome to this table. But those who do not believe this should not participate, because this is a meal for those in covenant with God. And this meal and taking it, you're going to hear in the prayers, is a statement, I believe these things. I trust these things are true. So if you don't believe, we encourage you to let it pass. If you do believe, however, I encourage you to this table, knowing that Christ's grace is deeper, greater, and broader than all your sin and my sin. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, go ahead and get the bread ready in the cup. If anyone did not grab the cups, they are at the back. Lord, as we meditate upon your word, we see your glory and righteousness and our sin and failure. But we also see our Lord Jesus, who in his incarnation took our flesh, obeyed perfectly in our place, and was broken for our salvation. So we take this bread in faith, freely confessing our sin and gratefully professing the salvation given only through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, in your word you have revealed that there is no forgiveness apart from the shedding of blood. This is clear from the time you killed an animal to cover Adam and Eve, in the provision of the Passover lamb, and in the whole sacrificial law in the Old Testament. 
But all of this pointed forward to and has been fulfilled in the blood of our Lord Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God who was slain so that our sins might be taken away and forgiven. So we take this cup in faith, freely confessing our sin and gratefully professing that Jesus' blood is greater than all our transgression and sin. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together. And as I cry out for the Holy Spirit to work in us, now and in this coming week, join with me and then receive God's blessing and the benediction. Holy Spirit, many things call out for our attention each day. Texts and tweets, social media and the news, momentous events, and trivial entertainment. But we need to have our hearts and minds fixed upon the Word of God. So we ask, O Spirit of the living God, that you would call us from these temporal distractions to your eternal revelation. Prompt us each day this week to meditate upon your Word and bring it to our minds even as we lie down each night. As we ponder your gracious word this week, use it to renew our minds, to fashion our desires, and to fuel our obedience. We are your people through the work of our Lord Jesus. Help us to walk in the way. For your glory and our good, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. In Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.